and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know what you think about uh, prophets or prophecies or seers or psychics, fortune tellers, if you will. An interesting thing about them is they all make predictions of one kind or another. The other interesting thing is they're almost always wrong. Let me give you an example. There's a television psychic by the name of Sylvia Brown. She appears somewhat regularly on the Montel Williams show, and absolutely none of her predictions in 2009 came true. She was over. <laughs> Let me give you an example of one. She said, I predict we can truly say goodbye to the common cold in 2009 or 2010. The solution to the common cold, I predict, includes heat. I predict that a small cubicle will become available in doctor's offices sometime in 2010. It will be heated to a very precise temperature. There may be a special vapor placed in the cubicle. Patients will stand in this confined space for approximately five minutes, and the rhinitis germ will be completely destroyed. Now, most of you know the Hebrew and the Greek response to that, baloney or hogwash. Yet, she is still regarded as an accurate psychic. Now, standing in stark contrast to that nonsense are the biblical prophets, the Bible prophets. Time after time, in fact, you heard a few of them already this morning, they said something would happen, and guess what? It did. This fact kind of lends great weight to the argument that our Bible is really true, that our Bible can be really trusted. Now this morning, though, we're only going to deal with one kind of prophecy. I want to deal this morning just with messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy is the stuff that you find in the Old Testament long before the birth of Jesus relating to the coming of the Messiah, this anointed Savior that God promises he's going to send into this world. And I just want to think of one simple Bible passage. I think it'll be up on the screen. There's an outline on the back of your worship folder, too. It comes from Luke's Gospel. Jesus himself said, Everything written about me by the prophets will come true. And you know something when you examine the evidence, and by the way, the evidence is right here. It's in the pages of the Bible in the New Testament. You're going to find some very interesting things. For example, there are over 60, 60 concrete prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. And every last one of them was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Now, what are these prophecies? Well, let's see. If I started on the first one and preached all 60 of them, we would be just about ready for the children's service at 6 o'clock night. But I'm not going to talk about all 60. I want to just touch very quickly on eight of them, and then I'm going to explain why I chose eight. Here they go. Here's one prediction. It was that the Messiah would be born at Bethlehem. Well, we know from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it talks about you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, even though you're little and blah, 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 blah. And, of him, somebody's going. and then what happens? Luke chapter 2, just read you the story this morning. Where is the baby born? Bethlehem. Here's the second one. The Messiah would be preceded by a messenger. Isaiah talks about this 700 years before Jesus comes. 
He said there's going to be a guy coming calling Israel to repentance. And then lo and behold, John chapter 123, here you got Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, talks about I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy. Here's the third one. The Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, Zechariah talked about that, you know, about five, seven hundred years before Jesus came. Lo and behold, Palm Sunday, what does Jesus do? Rides in the town on a donkey. Here's number four. The Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41 says, Even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he says, has lifted up his heel against me. You remember the story at the Last Supper? Jesus dips a piece of bread into something, and he gives it to one of his own disciples, Judas, who went out to betray him. Here's number six. The Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Again, way back in Zechariah, God said that he was valued by his people as worth 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, was the going price for a slave. So when Judas goes to the chief priest and he said, what are you willing to give me to betray Jesus into your hands? They said, well, how about the going price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver? Okay. Here's number six. The 30 pieces of silver for which the Messiah, this is a long one, would be betrayed and would be thrown in God's house and used to buy a potter's field. Oh, I love this prophecy. This is really kind of a cool one when you think about it. It's one of the strangest of all the prophecies because after telling Zechariah that the Jewish people would only value God as much as 30 pieces of gold, God told Zechariah, this prophet, to go take those 30 pieces of silver and in Zechariah 11:13 to throw it to the potter. Now, Zechariah saw a potter who happened to be sitting in the temple, took the silver, threw it at him. 500 years later, Judas, remember, 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, suddenly realizes he really did a pretty dumb thing. And so what does he do? He feels very guilty about it. And he tries to undo what he's done. He goes back to these priests and he says, here, I don't want it. And they said, we don't want it either. And what does Judas do? He throws the silver at them in the temple. And the priests then say, this is blood money. We can't even put this back in the treasury. So what do they do? They decide to buy a field to bury paupers, people who can't afford a field. And who was the owner of this field? Oh, man, here's an amazing coincidence in your Bible, huh? <laughs> a potter on that field, just like God had said. Coincidence? Ha! <laughs> How about number seven? The Messiah would be silent before his accusers. Well, we know this to be true. Isaiah talks about how he was oppressed, afflicted, yet did not open his mouth like a, a sheep going led to slaughter so up. Well, when Jesus was taken for trial with all sorts of false accusations about him, Matthew 27 says Jesus kept silent. One more. The Messiah would be crucified. Psalm 22, his hands and his feet were pierced. Well, we don't have to look very far in the New Testament to realize that Jesus was crucified, the nails driven through his hands and feet. Now, I chose these eight prophecies for a very important reason. 
goes back to 1969. 1969, a man by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner published a book called Science Speaks. Science Speaks. And in Science Speaks, Stoner, who is a mathematician, calculated the probability that any one man could fulfill just eight of these prophecies. Now, what's the result? He said the chance of one man fulfilling just eight of these 60s is 10 to the 17th power. That's what the number looks like. A one with 17 zeros. Now, that's only eight of 60. Guess what? Jesus was 60 for 60. Now, to illustrate how unlikely this is, he gives this very interesting uh, illustration. It fits for us because we're in Texas, barely. But he said, cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars to the depth of two feet deep. He said the total number of silver dollars needed would be 10 to the 17th power. Aha. He said, now choose but one silver dollar, put an X on it, whip it out there somewhere in Texas, stir up the entire pile all across the entire state of Texas, Texarkana to El Paso, Galveston all the way up to, I don't know what, Sherman way at the north, Texarkana to who knows where, stir it all up, then blindfold one man, like John Folks, let John go anywhere in Texas he wants to blindfolded, wander around, and when John felt touched or whatever or tired, take off that blindfold, reach down, and pull out that silver dollar with the X on it. That would be the same chance the prophets had for eight prophecies coming true in any one man in the future. Now, like I said, that's only eight out of 60. I haven't even touched on some of my real favorites. Well, I think one of my favorites, I think I told you one before was one of my favorites. Well, this is one of my favorites. Well, by golly, this whole thing is my favorite. Okay, but in Daniel, let me give you one more example. Daniel actually dates the coming of the Messiah to the exact time when Jesus lived and ministered. Do you know that? The prophecy in Daniel says that the Messiah will come and be killed during the 69th period of seven years from the issuing of the command to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, you go back and look at this in Daniel chapter 9. Now, the Jewish people in that day counted years in cycles of seven. Now, we know from history that the command to rebuild Jerusalem was given in 445 B.C. That fell within a cycle of seven years that stretched from 449 to 442, counting forward 69 cycles of seven, we find that Jesus had to have had his ministry and be killed somewhere between 28 and 35 A.D., roughly the exact time of Jesus' ministry and death. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I won't. The point here is this, that Jesus understood himself to be the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. And when you examine the scriptures, we find that he indeed did. And the odds against any one person fulfilling just eight, again, remember eight, it's astronomical. Yet Jesus didn't just do eight, Jesus was 
60 for 60. Now, the only fair conclusion I would suggest to you, in fact, if you were an unbeliever today and doubted the veracity of the Bible or God or Jesus, I'd say, I'd challenge you, what are you going to do with that kind of evidence? I mean, the only thing you can do with that kind of evidence is to say, well, Jesus obviously was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. Hundreds of years before he's ever born, God promised a Savior to save us. Jesus fulfilled every last prophecy relating to that down to the last itty-bitty little detail. And the only fair conclusion, then, is Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies. He's therefore the Messiah, this Mashiach, sent by God to save us. Furthermore, the fact that these prophecies that were written hundreds of years before his birth came true in Jesus kind of undergirds the fact that God actually exists. I mean, if the odds of these things happen, happening by chance are so small that they're a mathematical impossibility, then somebody, somebody must have given those Old Testament prophets the inside scoop. And guess what? Somebody did. That somebody was God. He gave them the inside scoop. Now, here's the great Lutheran question. What does this mean? <laughs> well, Pastor, that's a bunch of cool information. Thanks. <laughs> what are we going to do with that? Oh, yeah, we're going run, to run over to Bryce's cafeteria and after a while and tell them the story about silver dollars in Texas. And they'll go, and what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Well, if, if Jesus is the Messiah, as the scriptures indicate, the only fair conclusion is that God sent Jesus into this world to save you, to save me, and therefore we can trust God when he says that Jesus' death on that cross has accomplished salvation for all of us. That's the only fair conclusion you can come up with. And the only fair question is this. Has this baby changed your heart? I'm just talking to you. Has this baby changed your heart? Or has, is this baby now in the process of changing your heart? You know, the Bible says that we respond to God's offer of salvation by trusting Jesus to make us right with God. There are a lot of people, I talk to people, I run into people, and they always feel a little bit off kilter. And you get down to the root of it, and the problem is they're just not right with God. They know something's wrong, and some people don't even realize the problem is what's wrong is that they're not right with God. Trusting Jesus is the only thing that makes you right. I mean, there are a lot of people who will drink themselves and hope that it'll get right. A lot of people will drug themselves and hope that it gets right. A lot of people will chase anything with a, with a skirt or pants on, thinking that'll get them right. That isn't going to get them right. The only thing that makes you right with God is Jesus. Just that simple. You need to trust in him. Then you need to commit yourself to trying to live life God's way under his authority. That's why he gave us Ten Commandments. That's why he gave us the word of God. That's why he gave us churches. That's why he gave us pastors. That's why he gave us evangelists, prophets, all those kind of people to tell us about that. You know, we're not Biblians, we're Christians. 
We want to be more like Christ. But the way we become more like Christ is to see what he's like. And we see him starting with the little baby on forward. It also leads to being baptized. I mean, it's been a really kind of a cool thing this year. You know, a dozen or so babies born in this church. I don't know. I haven't been here for 90 years like some of you. Well, I heard some of you are here when the Indians were around yet. But I don't know if that's true. I wonder how far back you'd have to look before you found uh, about 12 or so babies being born in one year. That's kind of a cool thing. Lutheran church growth. That's what that's called. And as cool as it is to have babies baptized in our particular faith, in our particular denomination, what we believe, equally important is to see those little ones come forward to receive the washing of baptism. I don't know that there... There's only three really cool things that happen in our church. You know that? The Word, that's one cool thing. Preached here, taught here, believed here. The other thing is baptism, where somebody goes from being not God's child to being God's child to the power of water and the Word. Can you guess what the third cool thing is? I've already pointed here, and I pointed here. Where else should I point? At me? Oh, no, okay, no. Right there. Communion. Where the very body and blood of this Jesus that God sent, who fulfilled all of those prophecies, offers us forgiveness of sin. See, being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, being in his word, receiving his body and blood, I mean, it just... What does it do? Forgives our sins, places the Holy Spirit in us to help to guide us, and gives us this wonderful gift of heaven. Yep, this baby changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I mean, as cool as it is to rattle off these prophecies, what an astounding thing it is to know that they've been fulfilled in the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus Christ. May we all trust in him to make us right with you and to commit our lives to you, to live your way under your authority. We thank you for baptism, for the word, for communion, ways in which we have our sins forgiven, ways in which the Spirit lives within us and guides us, the way in which we are given the promise and direction to heaven. Lord, thank you for changing this baby, for he indeed change everything. Amen.